0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. That was amazing. Megan, thank you. Worship team, thank you. Man, we got, we got, a, we got a stinking good worship team, don't we? Yeah, I use stinking in church. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm so glad you made it here today. Uh, how many of you excited to be in church Matt, just a few of you. Come on, how many of you excited to be in church? I love you guys. I still think we have more people coming in, so if you could, like, squeeze in. Uh, if you give me about four hours, hopefully you took a shower this morning, and we'll get you out of here. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm totally teasing. If you give me about 30, 35 minutes, want to talk to you about uh, the meaning of, of Easter. Before I do that, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and uh, many of you know the drill. Uh, give them a high five. Tell them that they're good looking. And you're so excited you made it. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it, love it. All right, turn to your second choice. Come on, tell them that you also like them as well. All right, turn to your other neighbor and ask them if they're a Seahawk fan. And if they say yes, ask them to leave right now. Right now. Right now. I'm serious. Ushers, I see some Seahawks fans. We like to usher them out of this place. Come on, we believe in the Boise State Broncos. Come on, I love that. And, and the Dallas Cowboys. This is Easter, people. What is wrong with you? Um, well, I'm glad you... <laughs> Man, we're going to have a good time this this morning, uh, but uh, if you brought your Bibles, turn quickly to John chapter 20, and I'm going to read about half of this chapter, and uh, before I do that, I want to talk about a conversation that I had with my, my kids this week, so it's the Holy Week, and we're getting ready for Easter, and so... Uh, it was un- uncoerced. We were in the car. I think we were driving to church. And my uh, beautiful daughter, Whitney, she's right up here, uh, she informed the whole, our whole family that uh, she went to heaven uh, with her bestie, her best friend, Evie, and uh, they were on a bus. And so she was telling me the elaborate details of going to heaven. Everyone say, go, go going to heaven. And so it's kind of the theme of, of her dream, and she was really excited about it. And uh, Quincy, my little theologian, uh, he, he actually interrupted the, the conversation that Witt and I were having. And he goes, Dad, uh, only dead people go to heaven. So Whitney started to cry, so I had to console my daughter Whitney. And then Wesley, he wanted to chime in, he wanted to get in on the conversation, and so he said something like, "Dad, I just I don't want to go to heaven, right?" And you're like, "Well, why? Well, that would be sad because I, I want to be here on planet Earth." And uh, man, I was so proud of my Wesley. I'm like, "Son, you're halfway there, right?" because I've been talking to them about uh, heaven is God's space and earth is our space and how heaven and earth overlap. And so, you know, they're kind of getting it and they're thinking like little theologians. Can I get an amen to that? So then Quincy wanted to get back in on the conversation. And he goes, well, Dad, I remember. Yeah, I, I, I forgot. Uh, earth, um, uh, or excuse me, heaven is uh, as solid and as, as real as earth. And uh, so in heaven, there are, there's uh, airplanes and there's food. Can I get an amen to that? And there's like houses, but there's no cars. He didn't back that up. And I called him a little Platonist. And he's like, Dad, stop it, right? And then he goes, also, I think Yoda's in heaven. And I said, I rebuke you, right? That's a, that's a different thing. And then he wanted to say, well, maybe one day Dallas Cowboys, because we love the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe the Dallas Cowboys will be there. Jerry Jones might be there. And so uh, we, we had a good talk, good conversation. But it's interesting, the whole conversation uh, was organized around going to heaven. Everyone said, like, go, go to heaven. It's funny, Well, as a young man, how many of you grown up in church? Okay, many of you have grown up in church. Uh, did you ever have those, like, eight-hour-long church services? That if you were a young man, uh, I, I've seen many of you have your burnt faces. I just I just had to comment on that. I sunburned faces everywhere. We we know where you were at yesterday. Anyways, I got a little distracted. Um, but uh, growing up in church, and maybe you've been there before, where we had an eight-hour-long church service. Everybody's worshiping. Everyone's sweating. Everyone's exhausted. You know, and then you had the preacher that would come up. And uh, in my experience, I'd be reading books, a little bit distracted. You know, I just wanted to go home. You know, I'm like 10 years old. And the preacher would get up and say something like, man, if you don't like this church service, if you don't like to pray for eight hours of worship, you're not going to like heaven. And I remember in, in my mind, because I couldn't confess it, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I need to rethink my theology about heaven. Like, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. It's interesting that, um, and I know my kids, their their understanding of heaven and Easter and resurrection is a little convoluted, but a lot of Christians, a lot of people, a lot of unchurched, non-Christians think the same way. They're thinking about Easter and resurrection. It's muddled, And I think it's important for us to think straight about Easter if we want to think straight about ourselves. Can I get a witness? Man, if we want to think straight about God, if we want to think straight about the cosmos, if we want to think straight about anything in this world, following Jesus, we have to get our thinking straight about Easter. So, um, what does it mean when we say that Jesus is alive? How many believe that Jesus is alive? Right, We believe as Christians that Jesus came back from the dead. The early Christians said over and over and over again that Jesus is risen. And they felt like because Jesus on Good Friday uh, was crucified and on the third day he came back from the dead, that our entire space-time continuum was changed in a profound way. Why would they say that? And I remember, and this is just me being honest with you, Uh, being in church services on Easter and people getting really excited about about Jesus is risen and Jesus being alive again. And because I didn't understand that, I was confused as I was pumping my fist and as I was doing the Pentecostal two-step, right? Or now it's the Hillsong hop. I'm like, what? What are we talking about? Jesus is alive. Yes. Awesome. It's a little bizarre. Jesus came bodily back from the dead. What does that mean for me? Well, the reason why I didn't understand resurrection is because I, I conflated uh, coming back from the dead as going to heaven. And so when we talked about Jesus is alive, and many Christians feel this way, um, no one in this room, but there are many people out there that just assume that Jesus bodily came back from the dead means that we get to go to heaven. Like we've assumed that like our true self, everyone say your true self. Like our true self is like this um, immortal soul destined for some pure spiritual bliss. There are a lot of non-Christian people in the Western world who think that the Christian story is organized around going to this disembodied place where you shine like a glow stick forever. Right? Or you shine like Rihanna's diamonds forever. Right? And and, and I don't know about you, but that's a little bit scary. For eternity, living in a non-spatial temporal world, like like a shadow version of yourself sitting on a cloud with a disembodied heart, right, with a disembodied diaper, that's kind of a medieval construction of it, right? Like you're a little angel floating around in some sort of like post-mortem world. Is that what Christianity is all about? Can I tell you? No. Is that what Easter's about? No. Easter's not about going to heaven. Easter is not about going to some disembodied location. In fact, Easter, and I want a good amen on this, Easter is about rescue. What, what do you mean? Chris, what do you mean rescue? Well, salvation, broadly speaking, from a biblical, biblical point of view, is simply to be rescued. So the question you might ask is, okay, so if Easter is about rescue, it's not about going to heaven, um, what are we rescued from? Are we rescued from the meaning, meaninglessness of life? Sure. Are we rescued from the difficulties or the circumstances that we go through? Yes and no. What are we rescued from? Are we rescued from the agonizing um, uh, fate of being a, a Washington Redskins fan? Maybe. What are we rescued from? Well, the Bible tells us, and man, please don't shut me down on this, that Easter, and when Jesus comes back from the dead, is about being rescued from death itself. Death? In Night mythology, or in the ancient Near East, uh, there was a view that death was like an, an animal. It was an intruder. And it devoured all of its victims in its way. And we have this interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 25. And we're going to read it really quick in verse 8. says, the prophet... A long, long, long time ago wrote, he shall or he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad. Everyone say glad. And rejoice in his salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is not being, I don't know, transformed into a disembodied spaceman suit and flying off to a disembodied location. Salvation, and this is good news, is that we are rescued from death itself. And the biblical vision of death is death is, and if, you're, if you nerd out on Star Wars, you're going to love this. It's a rogue thing, Right? It's a rogue force, it's a rogue power that defaces God's creation. In other words, uh, death is anti-creation, anti-God, anti-matter force. And death is responsible for disfiguring or unmaking God's beautiful world. How many believe that this world that we live in is essentially good? Five of you. Okay, Genesis chapter 1 says that God made the earth, the heavens and the earth. And there's this beautiful crescendo. And at kind of the end of this this building of this crescendo, God makes all of the universe and he looks back on on the world that he made. And what does he announce? Does he say nuke it? Does he say annihilate it? Does he say throw it in the cosmic dumpster fire? No. God announces that this world that we live in is good It's beautiful. Death through sin and human rebellion has disfigured the planet. The good news that we have today is that on Good Friday, let me say it this way, on Good Friday, Jesus went to the cross. And what did he do on the cross? Well, somehow Jesus exhausted the full weight of death and evil in his body. He exhausted it. He brought death to death. Can I get an amen? Through his death on Good Friday. And then Sunday morning, what happened? Because death was defeated. We have this beautiful passage in John chapter 20, verse 1. And John says this. Now on the first day, everyone say the first day. Because death has been defeated through the death of Jesus. Easter morning, John then says now on the first day of the week. John has organized his entire gospel around the sequence of seven signs. On the sixth day, Jesus was crucified. On the seventh day, he was in the tomb. And then on the eighth day, or on the first day of the week, what happened? Did we fly off to buy and by? No. Are we shining like glow sticks or electric light bulbs? No, what happened? New creation was launched. God's brand new world, I want you to get this in your heart today, slammed into planet earth. In other words, heaven came down to earth. We didn't fly off to heaven. Heaven, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, slammed into planet Earth. So John is telling us the old week of creation is over. Sin and death as a tyrant has been overthrown, has been defeated. Death is not a friend. Like some religions will tell you, man, death is a pathway to a better life. Christians don't believe that. No, death is an enemy, it's a foe. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul eloquently says, "'Where is your sting, O death?' Death has been swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. So as Christians, we don't redefine death. We don't re-describe it because Jesus overthrew it. And now on the first day of the week, John is telling us what Easter is all about. It's all about that this universe is now profoundly changed by God's brand new world on the first day of the week. The facts of our universe have been have been altered profoundly. Jesus is now king of the cosmos. Forgiveness is offered to everyone who receives it. Come on, death and decay and, de- and corruption and sin has been defeated. And now what Jesus does, he doesn't fly or send everybody off into some sort of disembodied state. What does he do? He gives people jobs to do. I love this. He gives Peter, and we're introduced to Mary Magdalene in verse 1. On the first day of the week, Jesus is about ready to give Mary Magdalene a job to do. Mary Magdalene. Magdalene's not her last name. Uh, Magdalene probably is a longer version of Magdala, which is a fishing village off the Sea of Galilee. It was destroyed by the Romans, which basically is a picture in microcosm of Mary's life. The New Testament tells us that she had seven demons in her, in, in her, and Jesus set her free and rescued her. It's kind of like if you like Exorcist, which you probably shouldn't like it. This is kind of like that, okay? Uh, Jesus does an exorcism on Mary Magdalene, and she's the first one to come to the tomb on the first day of God's brand new world. Remember, everything is different. God's brand new world has arrived. Jesus is now in charge, but it takes a while to process. While it was still dark She came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She gets the forensics wrong. She thinks that a grave robber came, right, and took Jesus. In fact, Jesus came back from the dead. Isn't this true about all of us? That we It's like if we're not careful, we can interpret our life wrong. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, he came up with this social intuitionist model, and uh, he did a case study for about 10, 15 years on people and how they make moral judgments, and uh, he drew the conclusion that as humans, uh, we make rapid, moral, sweeping judgments about people, ourselves, and life, and his conclusion is that humans are irrational. So probably the most rational thing you can do today is to admit that you're irrational, Mary Magdalene gets the forensics wrong. She interprets it wrong. Well, a grave robber probably came in. She's still trying to process new creation. To me, that's freeing. That just because you're going through a bad season, you've, you've maybe a bad life, maybe things aren't right right now, that doesn't mean things are over right now. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Verse 4, so both of them are running together. There's a lot of running in John's story. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. How do we know that John outrun, outran Peter? Well, because John tells us. I love it. He just loves to brag. And all the braggarts, braggarts said amen to that. And stupid to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. Any believers in here today? For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And check this out. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And then she saw two angels in white. I'm not, I don't really like alliteration, but just, are you ready for it? The tomb is actually a temple. She thinks it's a tomb, but the tomb has been transformed because of new creation into a temple. How do you know this, Chris? She looks in, there's two angels, two cherubims. Two cherubims were in the temple of God in the most holy place. In the ancient Near East, man, temples were the place where heaven and earth came together. So this is the power. This is the logic that John is hinting at and driving us towards that new creation takes the tombs, takes the death in our life and builds a temple out of it. Maybe a better way of saying it is that if you're going through hell right now, that doesn't mean heaven can't rush forward into your life and change you. That's pretty good preaching. I know it's a little cliche, And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, you can't talk to your wife like that, man, okay? Only Jesus can. (laughs) Let's move on. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, which is the right mistake to make? Because they're in a garden. She supposes that he's a gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. This is the right mistake to make. She was the apostle of bad news. She was sweeping or, you know, making sweeping judgments about Jesus and Easter and what was going on. Here, now something profound is happening in Mary's life. She sees Jesus. She assumes that he is the gardener. I love this. Jesus is a gardener. He's not a vengeful tyrant that has come back from the grave. Not a pagan deity that's bent on the annihilation of the present space-time universe. now Jesus is a gardener. If you don't know much about the Bible, the Bible is, is pretty set when it comes to gardens. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and two. We begin with the creation of the whole world. God takes Adam and Eve and puts them in, in the garden to cultivate it, to tend to it. And then we find through the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, as we go through the prophets, They talk about, they write, they prophesy, they sing about God turning wasteland into a garden. We go to Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the end of our biblical story. uh, Saint John the Seer sees what? The new Jerusalem, heaven and earth coming together and it's coming down from heaven to earth and it's a garden city. It's a garden. And all the vegans and green thumbs said amen here. Filled with vegetables and life. The river of life is there. And uh, uh, fruit trees. And it comes down. And Jesus is the gardener that cultivates living things out of the humus or out of the soil. Jesus is the one. He is the gardener who takes the garbage, I did it again, I alliterated. He takes the garbage in our life and he makes out of the garbage or out of the garbage cities, he turns it into garden cities, or out of the garbage lives, or the lives that have been shaped by garbage and death and decay and destruction and addictions. He turns it into gardens. Out of the stuff of this world, new creation flourishes. Do we have any green thumbs here? Anybody like the garden like me? You'd laugh. Maybe a few of you. Well, I don't know much about gardening, but uh, I know pretty much in every garden you have to have like a compost, right? And compost is used to fertilize, I guess, your garden. Now, we all know that stuff happens. Some of you didn't get that. I'm Christianized as saying, stuff happens, Right As one pastor said, stuff happens, but God can use the stuff because he's a gardener. And he can use that stuff to fertilize your life and bring your life into flourishing. Bring your life into life. And this is what John is hinting at. This is the power of new creation. Let me just tell you something. Matter Matters. This material world matters. You matter. Your kids matter. Your hair matters. Your finger, toes, elbows. Man, you, you matter. Your DNA, your molecules, what you do, it matters to God. Football, family, come on. And frogs matter in the kingdom of Jesus. It, if you don't believe, if you just simply believe that, man, I'm, an, I'm a, like an immaterial self, and I'm destined one day to go to a, like a disembodied place, you know what you run the risk of? You run the risk of making this world irrelevant. Like if, if, if our home is just heaven, just some sort of disembodied place where we shine like some electric light bulb, why, why do we need to like really care about our embodied lives. And when people assume that, and many of people do it on, on an unconscious level, they do two things. They either, number one, carve up the world and exploit it and do whatever they want and turn the world into a garbage dump. Or they simply withdraw from the world. They don't take care of themselves. They just kind of do whatever they want to do by withdrawing from the world. As Christians, we reject both poles. As Christians, we believe that this world matters. We believe Jesus is the garden king. We believe that, man, Jesus came back from the dead. Heaven has crashed into our planet. The world is a brand new place. And our savior, our king, because he defeated death, by the way, is gonna make this world brand new. He's gonna renew it. He's gonna heal it. Man, I wish we were in a Pentecostal church today. He's gonna make it new. So Jesus said to her, "I love this." Remember John. I don't know if I mentioned this, but John has mentioned or used Mary in the Greek form of her name throughout his gospel. Here we have Jesus changing her name to her Hebrew or maybe Aramaic form of her name, which is Miriam. The Greek form of her name was Maria. John's been referring to Maria. Her old, you know, Maria was this. Maria was the one who was filled with seven demons. Maria was the one who, you know, did what she wanted to do. In this new creation story, I love this because this world matters and Jesus wants to transform our lives and will transform our lives. He just changes her name. Don't you love how Jesus just changes names? He's like, man, Simon, I just don't like your name. I'm going to change you to Cephas or I'm going to change you to Stone, Rock, Peter, come on. I love it in the Old Testament, God comes to Abram. He's a pagan. He's 75 years old, and God has a wonderful sense of humor. He's like, hey, uh, Abram, I just don't really like your name, and you're a pagan, but I'll forgive you for that. Uh, But I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. I love how God changes our name, and to change someone's name simply means to change on the deepest levels of that person's existence, to change who they are. Like a name conveys something essential about who you are, and so what Jesus is doing in just one, one word by calling her Miriam, is conveying. And John is, wants us to figure this out: is conveying that Jesus is changing the very identity of Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabboni," which means teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling on to me. It's kind of an awkward Greek sentence. But if you, uh, if you nerd out on Star Trek, uh, you have your cling on, right? That's a bad joke Sunday. Do not cling on to me. Jesus is just like so petulant. I remember reading this. I'm like, oh, gosh, should we not embrace Jesus? Aren't we supposed to love and worship Jesus? I don't think that's what's going on. Jesus says, do not cling on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is my hypothesis. Jesus looks at Miriam changed her name. She's clinging on to Jesus. Why is she clinging on to Jesus? Jesus has a job for her to do and yet she's still clinging on to Jesus. My hypothesis is that she's clinging on to how Jesus used to be. The old materials of Jesus or the old properties of Jesus's body, which conveys the sense that Mary in a way is clinging on to old creation or how things used to be. Or we could even say Mary is clinging on to what she used to be. She's clinging on to how she used to be. She's clinging on to her old identity. I was that woman with seven demons, right? You died. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm probably just gonna go back to my old identity. And I feel like there's so many, so many people in the world that cling on to their identity. So many Christians that cling on to how they used to be or how they used to think or what happened to them in their, in their past life or in their past. Or they allow the past or their circumstances to give shape to how they think about themselves and about God and about the world. And Jesus is saying, homie, don't play that, Right? Because you cannot, at the same time, cling on to how you used to be and embrace what God intends you to be. It's impossible. And I think when Jesus went to his disciples and he said on no uncertain terms, hey, man, let the dead bury the dead. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, hey, man, that game that you're playing that's death. If you could cling on to dead things, you can cling on to how the world works, but if you want to follow me, which is life, everyone said amen to that, then you're going to have to give up before you take up new creation. You have to give up your old way of thinking, how you think, what it means to be human. Man, it's powerful. Jesus is saying, I got a job for you to do. I have purpose for you. I got a mission for you. Go and tell my brothers that I'm alive. And yet she's clinging on to how she used to be. Well, Jesus, you don't know. I was filled with seven demons. How can I go to the disciples and be their discipler, right? How can I be the apostle to the apostles? And so many people, even in the church, Because they cling on to how they used to be. They cling on to their old identity. Are frustrated because they're trying to figure out God's plan and purpose for their life. If you want to figure out what God has for you, give up. Come on. What you used to be. Oscar Wilde said a long time ago, "says when by, by the time you t- uh, turn 40, you got to own the face that you have. What is he saying? He's saying, man, by the time you're 40, man, people know who you really are. Like, man, through habituation, like you, you turn into the particular person that you've been habiting every single day. Or practicing every single day. And the world is defined by this cynicism that once you get to 30, or once you get to 35, or once you get to 70 or whatever, that somehow your destiny or who you are is fixed. You're fated based on your past. Jesus is saying, man, check this out. New creation is here. You're not fated or defined or shaped by by your past. Don't cling on to dead things. Because dead things produce dead things. So we come to Ephesians chapter 5, and we have Paul, I love Paul, it begins in verse 14. I, I, I think this text helps us to interpret what, what uh, Jesus and Mary and, and really their, their uh, conversation as we flesh it out, how it works. We come to verse 14. Um, Paul, for a few verses, has been talking about the deformative practices that turn us into um, human beings that do not reflect the glory of God. He talks about cheap sex. He talks about lying. He talks about greed. He talks about all these death practices. And then he says this, therefore, or I'll, sorry, go back a little bit. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks. Everyone say, give thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, wake up. Why are you clinging to greed? Let me just say something really quick. Greed is like not just something, uh, not just a practice that's wrong. And we believe greed is wrong. But more than that, what Paul is saying is that greed is woven through with death itself. So to embrace the practice of greed or lust or pride or bitterness or anxiety is to collude with death I remember dead things can't produce life. And Paul is saying, hey, new creation is here. It's everywhere. It's time to wake up. This morning, we woke up at an ungodly hour for our kids. Our kids woke up at 6. You never want to wake up your children at 6 o'clock. And I remember I had to wake them up. It took me about eight times. Parents in here, you've ever experienced this? Had to uh, Wake, try to wake up my kids at least uh, several times. Finally, I had to take Wesley, and I took his leg, and I kind of just gently dragged him off, as he's clinging to his pillow. Right? I had my boys have bunk beds. I had to go on top of the bunk bed and get Quincy. He weighs about two hundred pounds, and so I'm getting him. And Quincy, he's he, he's not going to help me. So his body's stiff the whole time, and he's about my size now. He's. About five years old. And so I had to like carry him downstairs. It's funny. And I remember I just told him, Hey guys, wake up. It's a beautiful sunny day, right? The birds are chirping. It's Easter morning. We're going to have Easter eggs. Stop sleeping through life. And I think this is what Paul is saying. Come on, stop sleepwalking. Do we have any sleepwalkers here today? Like literally, you sleepwalk? No one? Okay, quick story. I used to sleepwalk all the time when I was a kid, and I would spend the night at my best friend's house, Shane Grove. And uh, crazy story, I just confessed this story uh, this morning at our first service. Uh, I remember I, one night I spent the night at his house, and it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I woke up and I was looking over Bob and Grove's bed. <laughs> Have you ever been there before? I remember freaking out. I was, I ran back into my room And uh, I told Bob and Char, and they were horrified this morning, right? (laughs) Back then, I had crazy red hair, and I'm sure my eyes were, like, gaping, and I had this look. I don't know, but it was just. Man, I, I think what Paul is saying, stop sleepwalking through life. Sleep, what Paul is telling us, it's just a metaphor for death. Man, stop being the walking dead. Man, new creation has arrived. Jesus is now in charge of everything. Man, he's, the facts, the basic facts of our universe have been profoundly altered. Why are you clinging on to old things, dead things? Why are you embracing what has been overthrown? Why are you not embracing the life that God has for you? Wake up, sleepyheads. Wake up to the light of day. Wake up to the dawn. Come on, wake up to the breathtaking sunshine of new creation. This world matters. So, uh, in this season of Lent, we talked about over the last six weeks about giving up, giving up impatience and giving up pride and giving up uh, comparison and uh, discontentment and complaint and enmity. We talked about all that stuff. The next six weeks, because of resurrection, because our world is a brand new place, we're going to talk about taking up six things. Over the next six weeks, we're talking to talk about taking up six things. Some of us, I think we just need to take up some joy. Paul says, wake up. Wake up to what? What does that mean? Well, you got to give up some stuff in order for you to wake up. Give up your pillow, Wesley, right? Some of you got to give up your pillow. you got to wake up so that you can embrace all that God has for you. So there are some things we got to give up today in order to take up. But one of the things that I want us to take up this week is, and I want a good amen on this, is joy. I don't, I don't know why Christians sometimes are at the worst at being joyful. Right? It's funny how, man, people are like, man, I don't want to be a Christian because they're all, like, somber and they're depressed and they're just like heavy. That's, that's Lent for you. But thank God Lent's only six weeks. We're now entering into the season of Easter. And I think we should take up joy. I think we should be excited this week. I think we should be the best in the city at throwing a party. In the 80s, an author he coined the phrase, why does the devil have all the good music? Why does the devil have all the good art? Why does the devil have all the good parties? Are, are you kidding me? Devil can simply parody the real thing. He's, he's just a cheap imitator of the genuine. Are you kidding me? So I think what we should do this week, because our world is brand new and you and I had nothing to do with it, it's all through the achievements of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, that we have life. We're going to throw a party this Wednesday. It's gonna be no Michelob, don't worry about that, or Miller Lite, we're gonna have a lot of Diet Pepsi, lots of it all over the place. We're gonna make it rain, come on, people. We're gonna have those soccer balls that humans get into and they crash into each other. We're gonna have hundreds of people, we're gonna have free food, and what are we gonna do? We're gonna celebrate. We're gonna have fun, we're gonna get to know each other. We're gonna throw a party. We should be the best at throwing parties in the city. Man, if, I just think if, if we don't understand or we're not living or our lived, lived experience is not defined by joy, then if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, I would probably say you're still clinging on to some dead things. Probably sleepwalking. Man, God has some great things in store for you this week. Why, Chris? Well, because... Jesus is risen, defeated death, and he loves you. And he's the garden king. And he wants to bring you into flourishing. He wants to change your name. He wants to bless you. He wants to fill you with love. And it's good news. Come on, it's good news. Let's, let's not be, and we used to do this. We're no longer doing this as a church. It's kind of the dirty little secret with pastors. We talk about Good Friday, and on Good Friday, we, like, announce to the world Sunday's coming. Just so you know, most pastors, because they're exhausted, they're thinking in their mind Monday's coming. Right? And when Monday comes, we, like, stop Easter. We're not going to stop Easter. We're going to celebrate over the next six weeks, and we're going to take up new things new habits new life new joy amen I want you to bow your heads close your eyes thank you Jesus if you're clinging on to dead things today you're clinging on to how you used to be you're allowing how you used to be to define you maybe it's an identity defined by greed anxiety cheap sex doing whatever you want to do A life that's dehumanizing, and you want to be free from that today. You want to be free to take up joy. You want to be free to experience the dawning of a new day in your life through the power of Jesus. With every eye closed, every head bowed, could you just raise your hand right now, and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, all over the place all over the place. Thank you. Keep your hands raised. Too many to count. Thank you, Jesus. If you raised your hand, can you put your hand on your heart? Probably at least, man, 60, 70 of you. Father, I just thank you for every hand that's raised, admitting that they've been clinging on to old things, dead things, and they need a fresh start. Lord, I thank you that you're waking us up this morning, I thank you that the power of Jesus is here and we just repent to you, Jesus. Just ask you would come and forgive us for clinging on to things that contain death. And I thank you for making, (laughs) creating a Genesis week out of the chaos of our life. Thank you for taking the garbage and turning it into a beautiful garden. I thank you for cultivating life in us today. So I thank you for your forgiveness and your love and your grace. We take up, as we give up old things, we take up new creation. We take up new life in Jesus. We thank you. We love you. In your name, we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.